We could create a whole world in the mind of the listener simply by using sound effects. Ron Wolfley. Thought, 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 thought. Boom, Luke Lipinski. Huh. Wolf and Luke. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Two of the show live from the Auction Community Studios. It is Wolf and Luke, except it's not Wolf and Luke. Sorry, I just lied to you. It's Kellen and Luke. What are we talking about next, Luke? We are talking about sports. Oh, thank up. God. Um, we're going to talk Kevin Ray in a little bit. It's going to be. I love Kevin Ray. Yeah, he's joining us next segment. Yay! But he's not joining us right now. Oh. We are going to talk about that story that came out on ESPN just before it, Christmas. About who? The Arizona Cardinals. Okay. <laughs> you have a show sheet. What are you doing over there? Um, <laughs> so there's a story that came out over the weekend that I now can't find, but I have my notes because I took notes. It was a long story. It was Josh Weinfuss. It was uh, it was Jeremy Fowler, and it was lengthy about Cliff Kingsbury, about Kyler Murray. It's the story that everybody kind of ran with on Cliff that was like, this was, I think, on Christmas Eve. Everybody ran with it like, oh, Cliff's miserable. He might want out. Basically, the story was like he might want out or he might get fired or he might not leave at all, which really is the only three options. I will grant you that. But it was more than just Cliff. It really detailed a little bit behind the scenes of how bad this season has been and um, and maybe gave some insight as to why. But it also it dug up the relationship between Cliff and Kyler again. So where do you even want to start with this, Kellen? I want to start with what part surprised you the most. Because I'll, uh, some of the story opposing coaches and defenders tell you has been the offense has become predictable. I, not not an opposing coach or a defender, I, I could tell you that as well. Uh, yeah. But what what part surprised you? Um, I I think I've been trying to convince myself that everything is essentially behind be be behind Cliff and Kyler in terms of any sort of rift. And the reason I say that is because Cliff has a very dry sense of humor, and Kyler's a little bit different. And so I've done enough. Like just national radio hits over the last couple of years where people will ask me about something that Cliff said. And it's like, yeah, and I get why you're asking me because you, this, you know, you're calling me from New York or wherever. But if you were in the room at a press conference, you kind of know that's just Cliff's sense of humor. There isn't this rift between them. But the, the part of the story that was kind of like, you know, somebody close to Cliff is saying Cliff might feel like the Kyler's negativity is bringing the team down. I don't want to say it surprised me because we've heard rumblings of that in the past, not so much from Cliff, just in general, like Kyler's personality, maybe bringing the team down. So I wouldn't say surprised. I would say concerns me because the one guy that is definitely going to be here next year is Kyler Murray. So you can't have any issues with him. I was surprised the most, to answer my own question, I was surprised the most by how much the story made me feel for Cliff Kingsbury, and maybe that was part of the design behind the story. I'm not exactly sure what inspired this story necessarily, but obviously the the story has some reporting with sources fr- from Kingsbury's side as well, from his team, whoever this is, exactly his friends, like his, his some of his coaches. I'm not exactly sure who the sources are necessarily, but you just kind of think about it and you kind of like, we can see it physically on him, how much yeah. this is taking out of him this year, just how much it is taking out of him. And you do have to remind yourself, especially someone like me who has been extremely critical of him now for the last two plus years, like even, even during uh, last year's like run of like four 
four and zero or whatever or seven and zero going on and on. I was just kind of rolling my eyes at it almost until like about eight, game eight or nine, where I was like, oh my, oh my gosh, is he going to win Coach of the Year? Like, is he doing this? And and it turned out the he way was, it did. And I'm he not was bringing, number two in odds. Yeah, and I'm not bringing it up to dunk on him in any means. I'm just bringing it up just in terms of how critical I've been of him and how much I could roll my eyes at this type of story. But you just read it and you're being like, yeah, like not being able to like like you said, the personality fit. It's not even a clash. That's a really aggressive word to use in this situation, but just like the lack of a click between him and Kyler when it comes to the way that they discuss things with each other that it kind of seems like this story sort of alludes to where they just go through sequences without talking uh, all that much. But then you just look at the front office stuff that is involved in this story as well and just how the story does include reporting that multiple team sources see a path where Bidwell does give him another year, but there's other reporting in there from the Kingsbury side that says, like, I wouldn't be surprised if he just steps away, and those are from people who know him, and I don't think they know that that would be his thought on the process exactly, but I think they, as people who are around him and, like, like our friends would know, like, everyone listening has friends and family that see them during a certain week or a couple of months, and they're like, like, people who saw me during the 2021 playoff run for the Suns, where I was writing Every single day, I was traveling all the time. They I saw, saw me, you. They saw me. You saw me, and you were like, "How are you doing?" And I'm like, "I'm fine." And you're like, "Really? You look horrible." Because your voice sounds different. <laughs> yeah. You look terrible. Your body is literally rejecting everything you're doing right now. Like it's making you sick, so you rest. And I'm like, "Ah, no, I don't need rest. Look, I'm fine." Man. So you can imagine Cliff, the guy who we know, like works extremely hard, is in there, first guy and last guy out, all that kind of stuff all the time. You can imagine his friends seeing him on a week to week basis, and now seeing him two plus years into this, and they're just looking at him like, "Are you sure, like physically?" For your own persona, like person, this is the best thing for you. And I hadn't considered this as a part of like this whole story before that, like the wear and tear of this kind of process where this is his dream to be an NFL coach and it's going horribly wrong. He's not going to quit. You can't quit in the position he's in because you'll, you won't get another job. But I can tell you this. It doesn't even have to be a friend. We've interviewed him on the show face to face every week this season, every week last season. He looks and has looked beaten down for the last eight weeks. And I I tell you what you said, if you read the story and you kind of feel sorry for Cliff a little bit, and that doesn't mean you absolve him of everything. People freak out like, oh, you're going to bring him back because you feel sorry for him. I'm not saying that. But I mean, we've been to the point now for about eight weeks. I mean, Hard Knocks has made me feel sorry for him, too, because I have felt this way all season that there's a lot of problems with the Cardinals. And Cliff Kingsbury has not been the answer this year. And he's been whatever the percentage is, 30 percent of the problem. But he's been treated like he's 100 percent of the problem by a, a, a portion of the Cardinals fan base. And I will just say this. I hope you're right. Because if they move on from Cliff and, and that fixes everything, I hope you're right. My fear is that it's not that. My fear is that you also have an issue with your quarterback. Or the biggest fear if you keep Cliff is that he's a good guy and he's a decent coach, but he's still learning on the job, which that's a whole different conversation why why you're in a position where you have a coach that's learning on the job, but he's at least trying. But if he's too nice, I guess, for lack of a better term, and his quarterback has kind of pushed the boundaries of that and knows, okay, I don't really have to listen to Cliff. If it's any of that, if there's any shades of that, you're in trouble big picture. So I hope it's just, hey, Cliff's a bad coach. Get him out of here. We'll be fine. I hope it is, and maybe it is, but I don't, I, I'm worried it isn't. To bounce off something from your show notes that you just kind of more or less said there, this is not just him. It's not like they get rid of him and then everything is going to be fixed for the most part, or the majority, like the 60-70% of the problem is him, like scaling down a bit. I don't even think it's that. You you agree with me that it's not just that, right? Like you, you agree with me. Yeah. To get a little more philosophical here, 
the other way the story made me think about things is we watch all the false starts, the pre-snap penalties. We watch all this stuff where they look disorganized. You're just like, this is a terribly coached team. A greatly a great coach team wouldn't have these kinds of problems. And then to this philosophical part, you're like, well, what what does that mean exactly? Is it, it, it usually what the way we think about it is? It's the way a coach like connects with his players and the way that they trust him. What do you do as a coach when you? can't do that i'm not saying that's what's happening here exactly but it just makes me think from his perspective a bit more when these things are going wrong when his team isn't organized when they're not listening to him whatever exactly it is that is leading to all of these issues where we stare at and just say this is a poorly coached team beyond the fact that they didn't run it on third and one the other night beyond the fact that they run too many screen passes all that kind of stuff just the overall week-to-week experience of watching them play and being like this is a poorly coached football team how you fix that exactly as a coach in that position you really can't which is why these guys get fired all the time yeah, like that's it, why Hackett didn't even make what, it to the once, end of the year once you're in there yeah like we need this we need this team to have two or three weeks without this guy to remember what it's like without this guy so when we bring the new guy in it's kind of a breath of fresh air but not instantaneous where we need like these couple of weeks to kind of rebuild a little bit and that's the decision that like Denver made and then you look at it from the Arizona side like I said the story is more painted from his picture than anything else but it does make you think of it differently just in terms of how a head coach navigates this type of season and it's really impossible to yeah and we'll get more into this later on because it's a long story and there's a lot in there to get into but I I just I keep coming back to the same thing of whether you whether Michael Bidwell thinks Cliff should be the coach next year or not whoever you bring in it's how they develop Kyler Murray it's what their relationship is with Kyler Murray I'm not saying Cliff and Kyler's relationship is bad but I do and I think a lot of people have wondered can he call Kyler out does Kyler just shut down if you call him out and if you even if you're a fantastic head coach if you can't call the quarterback out when he messes up What's the rest of the team going to feel about that? Uh, if you're headed to the college football semifinal at State Farm Stadium, get the party started at the College Football Hall of Fame free tailgate uh, starting at 10 a.m. on the Great Lawn at Sportsman's Park. Be music, food, beverages, and special guests making the tailgate party memorable. Admission is free 10 a.m. on the Great Lawn at Sportsman's Park. We come back. What does Kevin Ray want to see from the Suns tonight when they face off with the Grizzlies again? We're going to ask the Suns broadcaster for Valley Sports next. It's game day with K. Ray. Uh, It's Wolf and Luke, Kellen Olsen in for Wolf on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Cash it in from the corner. Wolf and Luke. Brings the boom. And catching bodies on his way to the rack. Sons, game day with K-Ray. I'm ready for whatever. I'm ready for whatever. All right, Suns back in action tonight. It's part of this new NBA schedule where you just play the same team a couple times in the span of like four or five days. We got Kellen Olsen in for Wolf. We got Kevin Ray of Valley Sports on the Arizona Sports. It's time for some Suns talk. It's game day with K-Ray. K, how was your uh, how was your holiday? Uh, it was good. Yeah, it's been, uh, it's been Christmas Eve in, uh, in Dallas and got to call a wild, thrilling Cowboys-Eagles game and then... Uh, Spent about nine hours yesterday in the Dallas airport trying to make my way to Memphis. So, outstanding. Yeah, I don't know if that qualifies as good, but I guess we all have different definitions <laughs> of good. Well, it only qualifies as good because I eventually made it, Luke. Oh, okay. so. that's, that's good. Well, it's good to have you on the show. And, um, look, Kellen and I were talking about the game on Christmas night. You lose Devin Booker early. You already don't have Cam Johnson, obviously. You know, everybody's missing pieces. But to not have Devin Booker, to lose him early in the game, 
I thought the Suns, in some ways, were impressive that they hung around, considering how well Jamal Murray and Nicole Jokic were playing. <laughs> but I also have to look at the big picture here, K-Ray. They are 3-8 and eight in their last 11 games, and, and I'm assuming Booker's going to miss a little bit of time here. Where are you with this team right now in relation to the other top teams in the Western Conference? <laughs> Well, and you'll have to forgive me. I'm, I'm a little winded because uh, the sun just put me through a workout considering the number of bodies that will be in street clothes tonight. <laughs> so, How's your mid range? If, if that gives you any indication as to uh, kind of the status of this team, you, you know, last year, um, they they went through the season for the most part, guys, relatively unscathed. I mean, guys missing a handful of games here and there. And, of course, Cam, you know, after his career high, 38, missing the 13 games. But for the most part, they were pretty healthy all season long. And it's as if the, the basketball god said, yep, that was then. We got a new challenge for you. And if, if ever the, the words of Monty Williams from three seasons ago rang true, uh, it, it's even more so now uh, because the other side of hard is a different kind of hard than this team has ever experienced. And, uh, you know, yeah, every team goes through it and, and has gone through it to a degree, but it does feel like the Suns have just been hit with a blitzkrieg of injuries and really just doesn't allow you to have a true sense of like who they are, what they are, you, you know, and Kellen, you'll remember this one, Monty, you know, typically like most coaches, they'll, they'll wait till they get to the quarter point of the season around 20 games to say, okay, this is, this is our identity. This is what we do. Well, uh, this is, this is our blueprint. And here we are 30, you know, game 35, and we still don't know. And it's just because of injuries. There's little glimpses, but there's no real true, I think, DNA for this team uh, 35 games in right now. Kara, you and I, like a, a lot of people listening, have watched every second this team has played in, in this Monty Williams era. And specifically looking at what's gone wrong for them over the these 11 games, you and, and I and those people listening kind of know when we see something that doesn't look right. And Kara, the amount of like open layups this team is giving up lately defensively, like the numbers are, of course, are there, but you just watch these plays where they're just not communicating well, whatever it is, and they give up an open layup. It's a blown coverage here. And I'm like, who who is this team exactly? What are you seeing defensively? that's not just adding up for them right now. Yeah, and, and that's a great point, Kellen. And, and, and I do think that it was good. <clears throat> you know, there, there's been so much made all season long, um, you know, by all of us, um, myself included in our broadcast, about the free throw disparity. And, and there have been some games where it really is just ridiculous. But having said that, part of the reason for the disparity is the very point that you're bringing up because guys have constantly been out of position defensively. And, you know, you, you've got to start oftentimes on the perimeter. You know, perimeter defenders are getting beat, and then you just create a domino effect of like, okay, he gets past me, so now does everybody stay to their guy? Do they start shading to the inside, try to help me because of my breakdown? And I think that's that's been a major contributing factor in teams getting to the free throw lines is guys just being out of position, getting beat, guys trying to recover late, and, you know, in an effort to try and make up for that, you know, deficiency, they end up fouling. And so you put a team on the line 25, 30 times 
times a game. Um, and, and add to that the communication and yeah, it, it is, it's, the first time, as you point out, with this coaching staff that we've seen, you know, not just a game here and there, but like consecutive games. And I think that's what is concerning. There, there doesn't feel to be or doesn't seem to be a, you know, a, a learning curve where you're like, OK, you know, the last three games they've been able to, you know, to put it together doing this. And certainly the injuries have played a contributing role to that. But there's enough guys on this team, to your point, Kellen, that it shouldn't be happening happening as consistently as it has been. Talking to uh, to Kevin Ray of Bally Sports, K Ray. You and I talked about this a little bit last week, but I, the story has changed a couple times now here over the weekend. Um, what you said before about you know how do you get a sense of who this team is? It's one thing for the fans and the media to to not fully have a sense here. Thirty five games in. But if you're the Suns, like the actual organization and the players and the coaching staff and James Jones, do you feel like it's an issue for them? Because I just, it, guys are in and out of the lineup so much that you can't really build anything yet. And yet it's important for them to figure out who they are soon because the trade deadline's not that far away. Yeah, and, and look, it, it's a great question. Um, I think there there is a you know a degree of a, of a balancing act that James has to play. But look, it's also why he is in the position that he's in, that he's getting paid the amount of money he is to make these decisions. And they have far more information, uh, you know, as we all know, based on the analytical world that the sports world is based on now. They have far more information to really, you know, take a true deep dive into what is going on. And I think with that, you you try and assess as best you can, but look like like any team there's always a little bit of a roll of the dice, and, and and this to me is where I think you have to, you know, get past the analytics. What does your gut tell you? You know, what 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 do your eyes tell you? And to me, that's always been the the ultimate barometer, especially for a guy like James who played the game at a high level, played on championship teams. And so, while, while analytics might say one thing. His eyes, his head, his gut might be saying something different. And, you know, uh, I, I would guess that in the next probably month uh, that, that we'll see what that message has been. To end with a positive one, this is the best basketball Landry Shamit has played in a Phoenix Suns uniform over the last couple of games. It's, it isn't really close. What have you seen come together for him, K. Ray? Yeah, it's, you know, you, 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 you want to sit there and go, dude. This, this this has been there the whole time, you know, and there is not a single person, uh, broadcasters included, that don't love Landry because he works his tail off. He's a great teammate. Um, and look, he's he's been one of their better on-ball defenders. I don't know if you would agree, Kellen, but he, he works his tail off defensively, yeah. fights over screens, done a super job, and that's one of the things that, you know, why they continue to lean on him. But all those things he's doing now have been there. They've been available to him. And so I, I can't explain the why it's taken so long. I just know that it, it couldn't come at a moment too soon. Unfortunately, and it feels like we say this, you know, when a guy's coming off a big game, you know, he's going to be sidelined tonight because of Achilles soreness. 
Um, so, you know, much like Dwayne Washington Jr. when he had that big game in Miami and then campaign goes down with an injury and Dwayne missed, you know, missed that window of like seven or eight games where he could have been getting valuable experience. Now, he'll, he'll get that now, but that's seven more games that you would have loved to be able to stack on top of that, especially, you know, if we knew knew then what we know now with, with the continuing uh, injuries that uh, that circle around this team. But, yeah, with Landry, what you hope for is that the light has come on and he's realized, like, what he can do for this team because he, he can take it off the dribble. He can get any shot that he wants and, you know, still do it within the framework of the offense. And his teammates have been, you know, telling him that for, for months. Gay Ray, great stuff as always, man. Stay out of that Dallas airport, all right? <laughs> At all costs, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot. That's Kevin Ray of Bally Sports joining us right there for Game Day with K Ray. Text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. And he wasn't joking. Landry Shamit's out tonight with uh, Achilles soreness. All right, we come back. Back to football. Another big name Cardinal is out for the year. Have we ever witnessed a season like what the Cardinals are having right now? We'll get into that next. Kellen Olson's in for Wolf. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. <laughs> Wolf and Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, as it is with the sports in the Valley, let's see, what was Sunday? Callan, it was Christmas, right? By the way, they're still playing Christmas music in the rest of the building because clearly nobody else in this building other than, like, us is working. How long are you allowed to leave up your stuff for Christmas-wise? I'm not, like, I'm... I don't like sit around and listen to Christmas music, but I, I, I don't mind having it on. Like, I, mm-hmm. I don't mind like it. You go to a store and Christmas music is playing and, and I'm, even if you want to do it a couple days before Thanksgiving, fine. I don't, I, that doesn't bother me. Like, I like the kind of the, the, the mood everybody's in around Christmas, the good mood, not the people that are just arguing in the stores. But when you walk out into the hallway here and it's December 27th and it's playing, that feels weird. I think you need to take down all the stuff after New Year's. I think you're allowed to have like a full week of your Christmas stuff being up. And I understand there are some people listening about very extravagant setups that would take hours to take down mm-hmm. and took hours to set up and so on and so forth. But I think you're allowed to have the, the break between Christmas and New Year's. I think a lot of people have those days off anyway. But once we're after New Year's and we're on to the next year, like, okay, time to kind of take this stuff. Remember down. during the pandemic, people were just like, I'm putting Christmas lights up and I'm leaving them up all year. <laughs> I kind of, I, I, I like that. I like that sort of attitude. We were like, in a I, weird hot yeah. space, man. Look, if this there was, was a lot suck, going on with I'm us. I'm putting colored lights up. You're not the human race was going through things. Uh, now here we are. So um, with the Cardinals, uh, what I'm saying, what, what was Sunday? Sunday was Christmas. Sunday was also the Cardinals losing in overtime and then the Suns losing in overtime. And uh, twinsies, yeah, and Devin Booker getting hurt, and Buddha Baker getting hurt. So you know, yay for us! Look at look at the joy. Um, with Buddha, he's done for the year. And to me, last year that playoff game, you could argue was over. You know, second drive of the game, it was over to me when Buddha Baker was on the field hurt, and it was like, okay, it's bad enough that you're going to beat the Cardinals. You really have to injure Buddha too. That's sort of like the the final straw. And now Buddha gets hurt. He's done for the year. You know how hard it is to get him to miss a game because he's been playing with a high ankle sprain. He's got the fractured shoulder, which doesn't sound like a doctor, but it's not great. 
So now you don't even have him for the last couple of games. And he's not one of those guys that like needs to be on the field for next year. But I also just think the, the leadership that he brings, and, and he's one of those guys that you had in place that makes sure this team doesn't quit on their coach or the season. And now you don't have him either. He is one of the two or three supporting foundations of the team as a whole when it comes to leadership from the players specifically. I, I would say he's he's certainly the top one for sure. Like It's been clearly set throughout the year and throughout previous years he's the heart and soul of the team and everything but I think that's the main thing that you think about with this type of injury specifically is not like his loss as a football player but his loss is like that support system and the guy that keeps everyone accountable the leadership that he brings and just how you want to avoid you want to this season has been a mess, as I've referred it to a couple of times on the show, and you just want to avoid it turning into any more of a mess, you know? You, so you, you just want to avoid carrying in the next season. Just look, if they. I, I know Sunday was ugly and it was frustrating, but they were competitive in the football game. Should have won and the game. And yes, they should have won the three before that, as you keep bringing up, Luke, and you're going to continue to bring up through the program because yes. you're frustrated by it, but they were competitive in those games, at least, and that's what the loss of a player like this brings up in my head. Sarah just said it during the update, 51-14 was not competitive, no. so Denver was like, alright, if you're not going to have them be competitive, at least, with the the players we have on this roster, get on out of here, see you later, and that's, that's the type of thing that a loss of Buddha makes you think about exactly, is he is the guy in the locker room right now, Above all else, making sure like we're not going to be down four touchdowns in the third quarter. Like we're not doing any of that stuff here. Like we are going to at least be competitive. And I know people roll their eyes at that sentiment and just look at how horrible this football team has been this year. And all that is all well and true, but they are being competitive at least, and it could get a lot worse. I know people can't believe that when I say it, but. That is a thing. Well, yeah. I mean, you could. <laughs> Look no further than that Broncos-Rams game of how, how bad these last two could get. I don't I don't think they will. I mean, I don't know what the Cardinals have left in their secondary other than Jalen Thompson at this point. But it's not like Desmond Ritters is like lined up to carve them up. It, it doesn't really matter these last two games at this point. But it does, with Buda, raise... It, it kind of brings back up the question of... You know, now you're two weeks away. In two weeks, this season will be over. We'll be doing the show. Okay, we'll be done. Our last interview with Cliff for the season. Like everything will just, we'll, it'll be in the rearview mirror. We'll be getting ready for NFL playoffs. What can you do to change it? How much can you change for next year? We were talking about this last week. If you, if you set contracts aside and everything, and you just said who's untouchable on this team, Buda Baker would be the one untouchable piece on this team to me. Now, Kyler Murray obviously is untouchable because you couldn't trade him. And I'm not saying you should. This isn't like some veiled way to be like, oh, you got to get rid of him. That, that's not it. But I'm just saying, like, in terms of guys that you have to have on this team, Buda Baker is the one. Now, I would say DeAndre Hopkins is up there, too. But you also hear people say maybe that's a guy that wants to move on or maybe it's a guy you move on from because you could actually get some pieces back for him. Like who else on this team is truly like if I'm going to strip it down, if you are going full rebuild and I don't think they are, but you're, you are going mini rebuild. Who is like the pillar that you have to build around? I really think it's him. I think it has to be him. And to keep the conversation in that same kind of lane, but also take us in a different direction a bit. I, Looking at the defense specifically, I've been thinking about this just on, on my own the last couple of weeks without really like tweeting it or talking about it with with friends who are Cardinals well, fans as well. If you don't tweet it out and, and things like that, yeah, of course, everyone needs to know my opinion all the time. I'm important. <laughs> what do you do? How do you evaluate the defense right now in terms of the pieces around Buddha? And, and what I mean by that specifically is, yes, there are holes on this roster, but you go 
uh, group by group throughout. You, you look at Zach Allen on the defensive line, the linebacking core, you look at Isaiah Simmons, Zayvon Collins on the secondary, you look at Byron Murphy and Jalen Thompson. How do you evaluate how those five guys have played specifically? Because I think when Buddha is out, those are the guys that naturally are stepping up, but those are also the guys who, one, they need to be good, and I think for the most part they have, but I think a couple of those guys being great really changes the trajectory of this defense for the next couple of years, and how do you feel like you've made, they've made progress in that this year, or have they not? Well, I, I think this is where the injuries come into play. It's not an excuse for them not making the playoffs, but I think it makes it tougher to evaluate what certain guys are doing when everybody around them is hurt. And so that's that's where the challenge is really going to be for this team. Ultimately, does it matter what I think of how certain guys on defense have played or how fans think? Yeah, it does, but what it really matters is 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 what the team thinks, and that's where there's that's where it's not ideal to potentially be switching GMs in the middle of all that because you're going to have to make some tough uh, decisions. To your specific point, though, on some of those guys, like I think Zach Allen's been one of the few bright spots on this team. Mm-hmm. He's not signed for next year, but I, I'm assuming they're going to they're going to find a way to do that. Byron Murphy, look, he was out se- outstanding at the start of the season. He also hasn't played in seemingly forever. Yeah. So I think you have to assume it, he's going to still be that guy next year, but. That's dangerous, right? But I think the big picture is, in a weird way, you potentially have a young core on defense that you can build around now. And I'm not sure how intentional it was. On Simmons and Collins, do you lean more in the direction of they are better than they were last year, which I know isn't saying much, but they are both they are both been way better than they were last year. Or do you lean more in the direction of they're still disappointing for where they were drafted? I'm somewhere in the middle. I still haven't decided where yet because both have been better this year. Like they've had impactful games. Yeah, this is where my. Coming into the season, I thought Isaiah Simmons has it figured out, and I don't have any concerns about him. Yeah, we did have that narrative going that he was going to be like maybe a defensive player of the year candidate, like he was going to have a huge breakout season. It was was a bit premature. So I'm a little more disappointed in him. Not that he's been bad, but Zayvon Collins has exceeded my own personal expectations. I, I shouldn't say exceeded, but he's... Like, if this is it, if this is what Zayvon Collins is, then that you took him too high. If he's going to keep getting better, though, and I kind of assume he is, I'm happier with where Zayvon is now in relation to August than I am where Isaiah is now in relation. Because I, I honestly did have, like, absurdly high hopes for Isaiah Simmons. Do you think both of them are solid NFL starters at this point, or is that going too far? No, I think I think for the most I, part I think it's are. fair, yeah. I, I think we are seeing teams kind of when they need yards kind of go at the two of them hoping one of them makes a mistake. We saw it in the the San Diego or the Chargers game. <laughs> How long have they well, been in LA? Yeah, like one 18 of, years? Yeah, one of them needs to be a pro bowler to be clear, but they are both they have both been solid and that and that's taking steps in the right direction yeah, for they, sure. They are part of that defense that you yeah. can uh, you can build around especially if you don't think of how high they were picked. Uh, all right, when we come back, see I can tell you right now, my co-host today is extremely passionate about this topic. He came in. Let's go. Fighting, I can't wait. Fighting to talk about yes. this. Did Mike Hazen pull off the biggest trade of his diamond baseball career? everyone? We're, gonna we're get doing into it. That next. I'm not even sure I'm going to get a word in. Kellen yeah. is like fired up. It's Wolf and Luke uh, Kellen Olson in for Wolf and Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Wolf and Luke Arizona Sports The local sports leader Alright, they always tell you To talk about what you are most passionate about, right? Isn't that like <laughs> Broadcasting 101, right? Like We would be talking about U of ASU for the next nine segments <laughs> then So like, maybe not quite, but we're almost there With, uh, within reason Um but Kellen Olson came in fired up. I'm like, okay, we have our show notes, right? I had a few pages yeah. of show notes, and and honestly, like I expected them to mostly be sons, but with the Cardinal story, I had a lot more Cardinals. You did not have this in your show prep email. 
I, I figured, I figured it would be tossed. I was like, oh, bad sign. Lunch. No, no. But and then Aaron, when topic. I brought it up in the show prep meeting, thought I was being sarcastic. But for D-backs fans <laughs> listening, I made sure we're going to talk about this in Marshall Trade. This is huge. He fought for you. So here we go. Let's and discuss. This is huge. So let's just, the, the parameters of this, we all knew the D-backs were going to have to trade an outfielder at some point. Because, and I think, honestly, that hit... A specific level when Jake McCarthy played as well as he did this season. And the ABCs of it, Corbin Carroll, no doubter, is going to be a future all-star. He's awesome. Jake McCarthy, the least heralded of the four prospects, but had a huge year last year, was one of their three or four best players last year. Probably he was awesome. Alec Thomas, Golden Glove nominee. He looks like an everyday center fielder. He's been great. And then Dalton Varsho had the best year we've seen of him so far. And you drafted Drew Jones. Who's coming in yeah. about two or three years. So you've got those five guys, but the four right now... And the thought a lot of D-backs fans were having over the course of the winter meetings area was like, okay, do you wait another year to see which guy separates himself still, or do you just pull the trigger now? And they pulled the trigger. Hazen just, he's an aggressive GM. I think this is, it's a really interesting trade. The trade was Dalton Varsho to the Blue Jays for uh, Lord Scuriel and Gabriel Marino, the, the catching prospect. And... <laughs> I'm going to let you go on this first, Kellen, because I want to make sure we get to everything you had to say before we end up in a break. I don't, like, hate the trade. I didn't want to trade Dalton Varsho. Yeah, he's a really fun player to watch. But you just went through the outfielders you have. Obviously, Corbin Carroll, you can't trade. Um, Jake McCarthy, not only did he exceed expectations last year, but I remember asking Mike Hazen about this, and I said basically what you said. Like, wow, I didn't think Jake McCarthy was going to be this good. Has he been a pleasant surprise? And Hazen was like, you know what? We took him pretty high. We expected this. So they weren't moving him. I find it interesting a little bit that you moved Varsho for another outfielder in Guriel, but the deeper you look at this trade, it's not Guriel that you made the trade for. It's, it's Gabriel Moreno. It, it is, certainly. Uh, Keegan Matheson, who covers the Blue Jays for LB.com, had a really good tweet on this. He said, Dalton Ver- Varsho fits what the Blue Jays wanted down to the letter. Gabriel Moreno is one hell of a price, though. Prospects so rarely become who we expect, but they may need to stomach watching Moreno grow into a superstar elsewhere. So your first thought listening to this is like, okay, sounds like Gabriel Moreno Moreno's really awesome, but the Blue Jays just got their guy. Wait, wait, why do they want to get rid of the really awesome guy? They have a 24-year-old catcher right now, Alejandro Kirk, who was an all-star. He was the guy who was actually rated right alongside Moreno as a prospect, if not better. Both of them just happen to be a catcher. And they just also have a really good uh, backup next to him as well, in, in, Dan, in Danny Jansen, who's 27-year-old. So they had this two-player platoon already at the MLB level. Moreno was starting to get at-bats towards the end of last season still, but they had these three awesome catchers, pretty much one one awesome one, one who could be really, really awesome, and then one solid one, and, and they basically, like the D-backs, had to make this type of decision. And Gabriel Moreno was a top 10 prospect coming into last year, and, and going into this year, pretty much, you read everything on it. Not a Blue Jays top 10 prospect, a top 10 a top major 10 league prospect. In in baseball, and, and to the point uh, that Matheson was making, and just... What I've seen is the consensus from like people who really know this stuff and know prospects and stuff. Sure, we see prospects get traded that are highly regarded prospects when they're in A, when they're in Double A, when they're in maybe even in Triple A. But when they're on the brink of being in, in the majors, and, and to be clear, Gabriel Moreno is going to be their everyday catcher next year. Essentially, we're going to talk about that in a little bit as well and how that factors into Carson Kelly. But guys like him who right now, he's already in the majors, and we look at him and say, yeah, he's probably going to make a couple all-star teams. They just don't get traded at this point in their career. It very rarely happens, but Varsho, who had a really good year, he was a Golden Glove nominee as well, just like Alec Thomas. He had 27 homers. His OPS was 745, which is a little low. His batting average was around 230. Not great, but the power was there. He he is, I think I saw a couple of people saying like he might have been the best defensive outfitter in baseball last year. He was tremendous to watch. 
but they had to pick one of these guys. And, and when you're trying to make that type of decision, maybe Varsha wasn't the first guy they wanted to give up of the four, but you get offered this type of prospect like Moreno. And part of what makes this so interesting, I'm trying to hit on all our points here because we already have four minutes left. I want to talk about this for 30 more minutes, but we only have four more minutes to talk about it. I want to play this Hazen cut, too, so now you're going to have 19 less I think that Mike Hazen, you could make the case that this is the biggest trade he's ever made, and the first trade that comes to mind when I bring that up is a similar trade. It's Jazz Chisholm for Zach Allen. You and I had a show in the summer. Zach Allen's numbers were fine. They were fine. Yeah. Just like they were the year before, and Jazz Chisholm looked like his future superstar was going to make the All-Star team, did make the All-Star team, and I said that the D-backs have kind of lost the trade right now. And then people were in my mentions in September were like, hey, remember the guy like who hasn't given up an earned run in like two months? Like You said <laughs> they lost the trade. That, he never Isn't that interesting? Do you want to stop talking about baseball in the air now? No, I don't. I want to keep talking about baseball. I love baseball. But Zach Allen, we're going to be comparing these guys forever. So we're going to watch Varsho in Toronto. We're going to watch Moreno here. And the trajectory of those two guys, this is going to be a move that really changes how the D-backs look in three years, and it only involves two players. Guriel is going to come here in DH for a year. He's a very good hitter for what they need right yeah, now. They needed... last year. He's a good hitter, but I think it is important to draw that distinction of don't sit there and compare Guriel and Varsho because they wouldn't have made that trade. It's for Moreno. It's for Moreno. So if Moreno is, a, is the all-star catcher, the number one catcher in the National League in three years, and Varsho is what he was last year, which was a pretty good to above average outfielder, the D-backs have won this trade. But if Varsho is pretty good to great and he gets even better and then Moreno is like a top 10 catcher in the league, he's, 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 he's fine, he's pretty good, then this is a lot different. And we're going to be doing that again like Jazz Chisholm and Zach and We're going to be comparing these guys over the next five years and seeing if Hazen made the right call. As you can tell, very fascinating. I, I love this kind of deal where, where we're going to be watching it for the next half decade, 10 years. Well, I trust Hazen more than most GMs on moves like this. And so I'll just, my honest take on it is he's probably probably going to be right because he typically is on his talent evaluation and the guys he has there. I, I believe I believe in that group, but I don't love giving up Varsho just on the surface today, right now, December 27th. It's hard for me to be excited about a catching prospect that I think he played like 19 or 20, 22 games last year with the Blue Jays and, and he was overshadowed by Alejandro Kirk last year. Um, so it's hard for me to be excited in that sense because I do think Varsho is going to keep getting better, but I fully reserve the right to to steer aside anybody that's like, see, you were wrong. Because I, I do trust Hazen to make this move. And what I like about it is you the good GMs find a team that is either inept, which is not the Blue Jays, or overloaded at a position. So like when the Cardinals went out and got DeAndre Hopkins, well, the Houston Texans were inept. That was a good trade. You found the inept team, didn't know what they were doing, and you took their best player. This trade, I think, is could be one of those worked out well for both teams because Toronto couldn't value... Gabriel Moreno as much as other teams, as much as the Diamondbacks would, because they don't need him. So that's the sort of team to target. When the, when the DH came to the National League, there were some teams that were just kind of natural, great, we've had this extra hitter, we really need. And some teams like the D-backs who just had to like find a guy, and they kept trying different names, and they couldn't find anyone who sticks. Guriel comes in, he's going to be the DH of this team next year, and he's going to be really good at it, because his career OPS is 776. That OPS would have been second on the D-backs yeah, last no, he year. can hit. He's, a he's coming off his worst year, and even his worst year would have been pretty good for the DH kind of production that they got last year. Jake McCarthy, too, his 769 OPS last year, he did that at 24 years old. You're talking about maybe five or six guys in the last decade who have done that on the D-backs, and it's interesting 
because one of the guys who did do that at that age was Carson Kelly, who had a really great 2019, and we looked at him like we talked about him kind of like Marina. We were like, okay, this guy's going to be an all-star in a couple of years, and his part of this equation we, sh- we should hit on before we cut to break here because that's the last part of the Paul Goldsmith trade. Well, here, don't, but save that thought because this is my case. Yeah. I'm talking about Carson Kelly's future. I spoke to Carson at length um, and, and explained all those things, and Tori and I have talked about it, and Tori's going to connect with him as well. Uh, we, we still think Carson's a very important piece to what we have here. All right, where do you go with that? It's a guy that year, he had 245, he had 18 homers, he had 19 doubles. That doesn't sound like awesome numbers for a catcher. Offensively, it sure is. And then he was good behind the plate as well. And now we kind of look at him as a situational platoon catcher like he has been for the last year or two. You got Luke Weaver, you got Young for for Goldie. The return is basically like moot now. It's basically that because Marino is your catcher for, catcher for the next decade now. Unless injuries come up, he is going to be that type of guy, the way that he's talked about. Here's my favorite Gabriel Marino thing. One more little thing. Look up Gabriel Moreno on Twitter, the first video you're going to see. He hit a ball so hard in the minors that it impaled the wall. It literally went into the outfield wall and was stuck there, and they had to hold up play. And I think they ruled it a ground rule double. He impaled the wall with a baseball. He hit it so hard. He's going to be really good. If you were kind of doing your holiday thing over the weekend and miss this trade as a D-backs fan or as an Arizona sports fan, be excited about watching this kid play next year. And just be excited about the D-backs in general. It should be a fun year for them. Yeah, and, and look, it is. this is potentially a franchise-altering time type of trade because you knew yes. something was coming at some point and you're right it kind of got lost in the shuffle but when baseball season starts are going to be wait, wait where'd Dalton Varsha go well he's you're going to hear the sound him. Moreno's bat makes when it makes contact with the ball you're going to be like ooh like that Justin Upton one of the first games I ever covered drove a foul ball into the press box that put a hole in the <laughs> what I thought was cement but I guess wasn't in the in the wall and the press box went right into the wall and like he's, nearly hit like three people. That's my favorite thing about baseball. You can watch guys at bat. You can hear the sound. I heard the sound Tatis's bat made the first bat made when it made contact. The first time I saw him in person, I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> and and Moreno's that type of kid. Uh, he's really exciting. Remember when Tatis used to actually play baseball? Oh man. Those were the days. All right. So when we come back, we'll take you through the biggest stories of the day with Wolf and Down Your Lunch. It's Wolf and Luke, Kellen Olson in for Wolf and Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.